is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Everybody, Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, we talk a lot of history here, and if we don't understand history in this country, we will not survive because our Constitution is part of our history. Our Declaration is part of our history. And the left wants nothing more than us to forget our history. It's American history. It's world history. It's crucial that we know it. A survey was done. Today is Holocaust Remembrance Day. Holocaust Remembrance Day. Has this been covered on TV at all? I don't think so. And that's part of the problem. Was it taught in schools today? I don't think so. The liberation by the American soldiers, among others. I don't think that was taught today in most schools, was it? I'd be curious to know. But according to a new survey, uh, fully 41% of Americans don't know what Auschwitz was. 41%. And that includes two-thirds of millennials. Two-thirds. Some 22% of millennials had not heard of the Holocaust. 41% of millennials thought 2 million or fewer Jews were murdered during the Holocaust on Holocaust Remembrance Day. I don't know. Do you watch old World War II movies? Do you watch these, the military channel, the history channel? I remember, maybe it was 30 years ago or so, there was a series called World at War. I never missed one. It was unbelievable how many men we lost in World War II, how brave they were. And near the end of that series, they show the liberation of these death camps and how these brave men, these brave Americans and Brits and others, who fought through North Africa, fought through Europe, defeated the Nazis, how they reacted when they went into these death camps. They couldn't believe it. Many of them dropped to their knees and cried like babies. They'd never seen anything like it. Who'd ever seen anything like it? Hell on earth. How is it possible that two-thirds of millennials, that is, people 34 years to 18 years or so, never heard of Auschwitz. It's possible because it's not taught. It's possible because people aren't reading. It's possible because it's not on television. 41% of Americans don't know. So I'm going to do something a little different. And some of you will shut this program off, and some of you won't. I hope you'll stay with us. I'm not going to do this in the entire show, but I'm in no hurry. We've got three hours here. Back in 1983, 1983, April 11th, 
on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Ronald Reagan gave a speech to Jewish Holocaust survivors. There aren't many left. There aren't many left. And I've got about 18 minutes of it. And so before the show, as I listened to it, I said, Mr. Producer, let's break it into two or three pieces and let's take a listen to this. Because if I don't play it, nobody will. And if we have to educate millennials and many Americans, then we need to educate them. We cannot forget our history. We cannot forget what we were involved in. We well better not forget World War II. So here's Reagan speaking to these Holocaust survivors. Cut 14, go. Tonight, we stand together to give thanks to America for providing freedom and liberty and for many here tonight a second home and a second life. The opportunity to join with you this evening as a representative of the people of the United States will be, for me, a cherished memory. I am proud to accept your thanks on behalf of our fellow Americans and also to express our gratitude to you for choosing America, for being the good citizen. for being the good citizens that you are and for reminding us of how important it is to remain true to our ideals as individuals and as a nation. We are here first and foremost to remember. These are the days of remembrance. Yam HaShoah. Ours... Ours is the only nation other than Israel that marks this time with an official national observance. For the last two years, I've had the privilege of participating personally in the Days of Remembrance commemoration as President Carter did before me. May we take a moment to pause and contemplate, perhaps in silent prayer, the magnitude of this occasion, the millions of lives, the courage and dignity, the malevolence and hatred and what it all means to our lives and the decisions that we make more than a generation later. Would you please join me and stand in a tribute to those who are not with us for a moment of silence. It lasts about 20 seconds. Moment of silence. Amen. In the early days of our country, our first president, George Washington, visited a Hebrew congregation in Newport, Rhode Island. In response to their address, he wrote them a now rather famous letter reflecting on the meaning of America's newly won freedom. He wrote, all possess alike liberty of conscience and immunities of citizenship. 
For happily, the government of the United States, which gives to bigotry no sanction, to persecution no assistance, requires only that they who live under its protection should demean themselves as good citizens. Well, certainly our country doesn't have a spotless record, but our fundamental beliefs, the ones that inspired Washington when he penned that letter, are sound. Our whole way of life is based on a compact between good and decent people, a voluntary agreement to live here together in freedom, respecting the rights of others and expecting that our rights in return will be respected. But the freedom we enjoy carries with it a tremendous responsibility. You, the survivors of the Holocaust, remind us of that. Good and decent people must not close their eyes to evil, must not ignore the suffering of the innocent. and must never remain silent and inactive in times of moral crisis. A generation ago, the American people felt, like many others in the Western world, that they could simply ignore the expanding power of a totalitarian ideology. Looking back now, we must admit that the warning signs were there, but the world refused to see. The words and ideology of the Nazis were rationalized, explained away as if they had no meaning. Violations of religious freedom, the attacks on Jewish property, the censorship, the heavy taxes imposed on those who wish to emigrate, even the first concentration camps, all this ignored, as was the incredible expansion of Germany's war machine. A few brave voices tried to warn of the danger. Winston Churchill was driven into the political wilderness for speaking the unpleasant truth. There were also those who, in their sincere desire for peace, were all too ready to give totalitarians every benefit of the doubt, and all too quick to label Ch Churchill a warmonger. Well, time has proven that those who gloss over the brutality of tyrants are no friends of peace or freedom. Tonight, let us pledge that we will never shut our eyes, never refuse to acknowledge the truth, no matter how unpleasant. If nothing else, if nothing else, the painful memory we share should strengthen our resolve to do this. Our founding fathers believed in certain self-evident truths, but for truth to prevail, we must have the courage to proclaim it. Last week, we reaffirmed our belief in the most meaningful truths of our Judeo-Christian heritage, Passover and Easter. These two religious observances link our faiths and celebrate the liberation of the body and soul. The rites of Passover remind us of the freeing of our common ancestors from the yoke of Pharaoh's bondage and their exodus to freedom. Today, you bear witness to a modern-day exodus from the darkness of unspeakable horror to the light and refuge of safe heavens, the two most important being America and what soon became the State of Israel.
As a man whose heart is with you, and as president of a people you are now so much a part of, I promise you that the security of your safe haven here and in Israel will never be compromised. sacred task now is ensuring that the memory of this greatest of human tragedies, the Holocaust, never fades, that its lessons are not forgotten. Although so much has been written and said, words somehow are never enough. If a young person, the son or daughter of a neighbor or friend, should die or suffer a terrible illness, we feel the sorrow and share the pain. But how can we share the agony of a million young people suffering unspeakable deaths. It's almost too great a burden for the human soul. Indeed, its very enormity may make it seem unreal. Simon Wiesenthal has said, when a hundred people die, it's a catastrophe. When a million people die, it's just a statistic. We must see to it that the immeasurable pain of the Holocaust is not dehumanized that it is not examined clinically and dispassionately, that its significance is not lost on this generation or any future generation. Though it is now a dry scar, we cannot let the bleeding wound be forgotten. Only when it is personalized will it be real enough to play a role in the decisions we make. Those victims who cannot be with us today do a vital service to mankind by being remembered. But we must be their vessel of remembrance. This reunion... This reunion is part of our duty to them. Ben Mead, by serving as the catalyst for this historic event, you exemplify the meaning of good citizenship. America is lucky to have you. Ellie Wiesel, you have done so much for so many years now. For all you've done, thank you for your noble effort. Americans can be proud that with the help of these two men and many others, we're moving forward to build a Holocaust memorial, a living museum here in the nation's capital. And it is being financed, as is this gathering, by voluntary contributions, by Jews and Gentiles, by citizens from every walk of life, of every race and creed, who grasp the importance to our soul 
and to our well-being of seeing, of understanding, and of remembering. Imparting the message of the Holocaust, using it to reinforce the moral fiber of our society, is much more than a Jewish responsibility. It rests upon all of us who, not immobilized by cynicism and negativism, believe that mankind is capable of greater goodness. For just as the genocide of the Holocaust debased civilization, the outcome of the struggle against those who ran the camps and committed the atrocities gives us hope that the brighter side of the human spirit will, in the end, triumph. Mark Lobin. men who I know immediately went and signed up for the war. My mother's father, who was 34 years old, went into the Marines, and my father, who's now almost 93 years old, and he went to the Army Air Corps. And my grandfather fought at Iwo Jima, and he fought at Guam, and he saw horrific combat. But I want to do a little bit more of this, because obviously it's not taking place in our schools when two-thirds of millennials don't know what the Auschwitz was. I'll be back. Do you wake up in the morning feeling sluggish and have to drag yourself through your day? Do you feel bloated, tired, and out of shape? Eating healthy is a habit, but most of us don't really know exactly what we should be eating, right? How much we should be eating and how to properly prepare it. This is why I drink Field of Greens every morning before I start my day. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. Helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. Now this is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com and get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. Now, you know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. The Mark Levin Show, where the Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811. One of the reasons so many of our fellow citizens do not fear centralized, overbearing, iron-fisted government is because they don't understand what it's capable of. Because they don't know history. Because they're not taught history. Again, I repeat, how many of our children today in our government schools were taught about the Holocaust on Holocaust Remembrance Day? How many of them were taught about the Third Reich? How many were taught about World War II? How many were taught about uh, the toll on American troops and so forth and so on? How many? I'll bet none, or very, very few. Let me put it that way. And so we have this stunning survey. 41% of Americans don't know what Auschwitz was. Two-thirds of millennials. 22% of millennials had not heard of the Holocaust. Absolutely incredible. 
Here's the final few minutes of Reagan's speech to the Jewish Holocaust survivors on April 11, 1983, on Holocaust Remembrance Day back then. Go ahead. During the dark days when terror reigned on the continent of Europe, there were quiet heroes, men and women whose moral fiber held firm. Some of those are called righteous Gentiles. At this solemn time, we remember them also. Alexander Roslin and his wife, for example, now live in Clearwater, Florida. But during the war, they lived in Poland. And they hid three Jewish children in their home for more than four years. They knew the terrible risk they were taking. Once, when German soldiers searched their home, the Roslins kept serving wine and whiskey until the troops were so drunk they forgot what they were looking for. Later... Later, Roslin's own son was in the hospital with scarlet fever. The boy hid half of the medicine under his pillow so he could give it to the Jewish children his family were hiding because they, too, had scarlet fever. There are many such stories. The picturesque town of Assisi, Italy, sheltered and protected 300 Jews. Father Rafino Nicacci organized the effort, hiding people in his monastery and in the homes of parishioners. A slip of the tongue by a single informant could have condemned the entire village to the camps. Yet they did not yield. And of course, there was Raoul Wallenberg. One of the moral giants of our time, whose courage saved thousands. He could have remained in his native Sweden, safe from the conflagration that engulfed the continent. He chose to follow his conscience. Yes, we remember him too. I would affirm, as President of the United States, and if you would permit me, in the names of the survivors, that if those who took him from Budapest would win our trust, Let them start by giving us an accounting of Raoul Waldenberg. Let me just stop there. Uh, He was a remarkable man, and the Soviets took him prisoner, and it's believed they killed him. Go ahead. Wallenberg and others who displayed such bravery did not consider themselves heroes. I understand that some of them, when asked about why they risked so much, often for complete strangers, replied, it was the right thing to do. And that was that. It was just their way. That kind of moral character, unfortunately, was the exception and not the rule. But for that very reason, it is a consciousness we must foster. Earlier, I described our country as a compact between good and decent people. 
I believe this because it is the love of freedom, not nationalistic rituals and symbols, that unites us. And because of this, we are also bound in spirit to all those who yearn to be free and to live without fear. We are the keepers of the flame of liberty. I understand that in Hebrew the word for engraved is harut. It is very similar to the word for freedom, herut. Tonight we recognize that for freedom to survive and prosper it must be engraved in our character so that when confronted with fundamental choices we will do what is right because that is our way. I'm looking around this room tonight. Looking around this room tonight, I realize that although we come from many lands, we share a wealth of common experiences. Many of us remember the time before the Second World War. How we and our friends reacted to certain events has not faded from our memory. There are also in this room many young people, sons and daughters, maybe even a few grandchildren. Perhaps some of the younger ones can't understand why we're making so much of a fuss. Perhaps some of them think we're too absorbed by the heartaches of the past and should move on. Well, what we do tonight is not for us. It's for them. We who are old enough to remember must make certain those who take our place understand. So, if a youngster should ask you why you're here, just tell that young person, because I love God, because I love my country, because I love you, Zakor. without remembering something else. Some years ago, I was sent on a mission to Denmark. And while there, I heard stories of the war. And I heard how the order had gone out for the Danish people under the Nazi occupation to identify the Jews among them. And the next day, every Dane appeared on the street wearing a Star of David. Now, that's 40 minutes, 43 minutes of the program. Do you think it was well spent? But I'm not done. When these atrocities were taking place in Europe, when the camps were working at full speed, the newspaper of record in this country, the New York Times, which everybody turns to today, which all the journalists want to work for. It's the pinnacle of somebody's career, if you're a reporter. Did its very best to cover up the Holocaust. And the New York Times 
was founded by a Jewish family, and the Jewish family controlled the editorial and the news input into that newspaper. And they did a lot to cover up the Holocaust. Now, why did they do that? Because they didn't want the New York Times to be considered a paper of Jews or for Jews. Can you believe that? So they chose not to report what they knew or to move it to the back pages. The New York Times. The New York Times can never be forgiven. Never be forbidden. Uh, uh, forgiven. Max Frankel was the former executive editor of the Times, and on its 150th birthday in 2001, he wrote a piece about it. 150th anniversary, 1851 to 2001, turning away from the Holocaust. He wrote, and then there was failure, none greater than the staggering, staining failure of the New York Times to depict Hitler's methodical extermination of the Jews of Europe as a horror beyond all other horrors in World War II, a Nazi war within the war, crying out for illumination. The annihilation of six million Jews would not for many years become distinctly known as the Holocaust, because its essence became knowable fast enough from ominous Nazi threats and undisputed eyewitness reports collected by American correspondents, agents, and informants. Indeed, a large number of those reports appeared in the Times, but they were mostly buried inside its gray and stolid pages, never featured, analyzed, or rendered truly comprehensible. Yet what they printed made clear that the editors did not long mistrust the ghastly reports. They presented them as true within months of Hitler's secret resolve in 1941 to proceed to the final solution of his fantasized Jewish problem. Why then? were the terrifying tales almost hidden in the back pages, like most, though not all, American media and most of official Washington, the Times drowned its reports about the fate of Jews in the flood of wartime news. Its neglect was far from unique and its reach was not then fully national, but as the premier American source of wartime news, it surely influenced the judgment of other news purveyors. While a few publications, newspapers like The Post and The PM in New York and magazines like The Nation and The New Republic showed more conspicuous concern, the New York Times coverage generally took the view that the atrocities inflicted upon Europe's Jews, while horrific, were not significantly different from those visited upon others. Only six times in nearly six years did the Times front page mention Jews as Hitler's unique target for total annihilation. Six times in six years. Only once was their fate the subject of a lead editorial. Only twice did their rescue inspire passionate cries in the Sunday magazine. Although the Times' news columns in those years did not offer as much analysis or synthesis as they do today, the paper took great pride in ranking the importance of events each morning and in carefully reviewing the major news of every week and every year. How could it happen that the war on the Jews never qualified for such highlighted attention? There's no surviving record of how the paper's coverage of the subject was discussed by Times editors during the war years 1939 to 45. But within that coverage is recurring evidence of a guiding principle. 
do not feature the plight of the Jews and take care when reporting it to link their suffering to other European happenings. This reticence has been a subject of extensive scholarly inquiry and also much speculation and condemnation. And it goes on and on. At the times, the reluctance to highlight the systematic slaughter of Jews was also undoubtedly influenced by the views of the publisher, Arthur Hayes Schulzberger. He believed strongly and publicly that Judaism was a religion, not a race or nationality, that Jews should be separate only in the way they worshipped. He thought they needed no state or political and social institutions of their own. He went to great lengths to avoid having the Times branded a Jewish newspaper. He resented other publications for emphasizing the Jewishness of people in the news. The New York Times. Spiking a story. Spiking one of the most important stories in a century or more. You expect this newspaper to print the truth? This poop, this paper would be all but broke, but for a, a Mexican billionaire who saved it. There's a reason why two-thirds of millennials in this country know almost nothing about the Holocaust, because they're not taught about it. There's a reason why most of them don't know about the Battle of the Bulge, or D-Day, or Pearl Harbor unless they saw it in a movie. There's a reason why they know all but nothing about Vicksburg, Chancellorsville, Gettysburg, and the Civil War. There's a reason why they know next to nothing about the founding of the nation, a righteous, magnificent nation. The Declaration Natural law, natural rights, unalienable rights, and a constitution that exists to protect them. The Holocaust didn't occur that long ago. And yet two-thirds of our youth know almost nothing about it. And when one of the death camps was liberated, a week later Eisenhower came, and all the troops... Within miles and miles and miles of that death camp, all the American troops, he insisted that they come and take a look at what had taken place. Because he said he never, ever wanted history to forget this. He wanted the eyewitnesses. And now we forget. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Jews all around the world are so committed to Israel and Christians all around the world are so committed to Israel and why the United States and Israel are attached at the hip these are two civilized societies that embrace liberty that embrace humanity that embrace faith and now you know why now here's why I'm a big fan of Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe system is prepared for anything. If a storm takes out your power, Simply Safe has a backup battery. If an intruder cuts your phone line, Simply Safe has a cellular connection. And if the intruder destroys your keypad or siren, Simply Safe will still call the authorities and get you the help you need. 
The intruder doesn't stand a chance. And maybe you think, well, that's overkill. That's too much. But that's what makes Simply Safe Home Security Systems so great. They know that when it comes to protecting your home and family, there's no such thing as doing too much. The best part, instead of charging an arm and a leg for their triple safeguard protection, Simply Safe only charges you what's fair. 24-7 professional monitoring is just $14.99 a month. With Simply Safe, there are no long-term contracts or hidden fees. Check out Simply Safe's home security system right now. Go right now to simplysafemark.com. That's simplysafemark.com to protect your home and family. Simplysafemark.com. This is one of the reasons, ladies and gentlemen, I am so thoroughly committed to individual liberty, limited government, a central government that lives within its constitutional box. Because you can see what can happen to societies. A civilized society can become, as I like to say, decivilized. Oh, it can't happen here, huh? Well, they thought it couldn't happen in Germany, too. It happens. And it has happened. And that's why history is so damn important. We need to continue to fight for our principles, ladies and gentlemen. They're the only humane principles. We must continue to fight for our conservative principles, our constitutional beliefs. I'll be right back. With a daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods, but what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Everybody, Mark Levin here. Our number 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. I know the board is full. We will get to all your calls on the subjects that you want to discuss. So just hang in there. But I want to address a, few, uh, a couple other things, too. Let's circle back to the, uh, to the investigations that are taking place in this country. Just step back and look at this. How is it possible that Hillary Clinton, her campaign, the DNC, 
are not under investigation for collusion with the Russians. So this was never about collusion with the Russians. That was a fig leaf. Mr. Mueller exists to go after the President of the United States, and he's always existed to go after the President of the United States. Mr. Mueller would not be able to do all these things but for Rod Rosenstein, who not only appointed him and not only approves his budget, but has approved his expansion into these other areas, despite the fact that he is usurping the power of the Attorney General of the United States. Rosenstein is the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. For a specific area only is he the Acting Attorney General of the United States. I'm saying it over and over and over again. And that is where the Attorney General recused himself. The Russian intervention in the election. That's it. Therefore, Rosenstein does not have implied or explicit power to expand Mueller's investigation. Now, having said that, it is the responsibility of the Attorney General of the United States to act when his power is being usurped by the Deputy Attorney General of the United States. This is one of the reasons I had to put 30 years of friendship aside and say that Jeff Sessions needs to step down. Because he's not asserting the authority of the Attorney General of the United States. And therefore we have a rogue prosecutor roaming the countryside looking for areas to take down a sitting president. This is a silent coup, as I said it was, from day one. And we're not allowed to have silent coups in this country, theoretically. And because the Attorney General does not rein in the Deputy Attorney General, this is where we are. This is where we are. Now, I'm looking at members of Congress, as difficult as that is, And somebody needs to explain something to me. Lindsey Graham. What has Lindsey Graham done in his life? What has Lindsey Graham done in his career? What has Lindsey Graham done as a senator, and before that a congressman? That warrants all this attention on Lindsey Graham. Is he particularly smart? No, he's particularly dumb, actually. So what is it? What is, is he's a useful idiot. And he'll be on CNN and MSNBC and Fox. He'll be on the Sunday shows. Guy doesn't have a life. Well, maybe that is his life. And he and a number of Democrats are leading the charge to pass a statute that would protect Mueller from being fired by the President of the United States and create this Rube Goldberg-type process that the president would have to go through, including approval by federal judges, in order to remove Mueller. Now, it is not my best legal advice that the president should remove Mueller. It is my best legal advice that the attorney general should remove the deputy attorney general, or at least rein him in. Now, this is a constitutional issue. 
We have tried to get Lindsey Graham on this program in the past. I've just asked Mr. Producer to try again. I want to have a discussion with Lindsey Graham over the Constitution. He's the one who sits on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's the one all over the media. But for some reason, this is the one show he won't appear on. We're going to try. Because I want to ask Lindsey Graham about separation of powers if he believes in it. I want to ask Lindsey Graham if he believes a president has the right to remove a subordinate in the executive branch. And then I want to ask Lindsey Graham if the president can issue an executive order dictating how members of Congress can fire their staffers. I want to have a discussion since Lindsey Graham is all over the place pushing this. The other one I'd like you to try and reach, Mr. Producer, is Chuck Grassley as the chairman of the Judiciary Committee. Now he's getting behind this. I want to have this discussion with him. And I want to know why the Senate Judiciary Committee, controlled by the Republicans, I want to know why that committee is not concerned about what the Deputy Attorney General is doing and has done. Moreover, I want to know why the Senate Judiciary Committee isn't concerned about what just took place in the Southern District of New York, where the attorney-client privilege rights of the President of the United States were violated. Make no mistake about it. They were violated. On a false argument, as best as we can tell, we don't have access to the warrant. Only the Holocaust-denying New York Times reporters do. And based on what we're reading, it looks like the juxta the warrant deals with payments or a payment made to a former porno star. And I don't even know if she was a star. Maybe she was a, uh, a grade three porno star. Who the hell knows? Anyway, and then they lop on bank fraud and wire fraud because the payment was made from a bank, you know, and it was money was apparently wired to her, I guess. I had the former chairman of the Federal Election Commission on my program yesterday, as you know. And he said, in so many words, that the idea that a payment of that sort is an in-kind contribution to a candidate is preposterous. Absolutely preposterous. Why? Because an individual is free to use their private funds that way. They are not legally permitted to use campaign funds that way. So how can it be an in-kind contribution? And yet a federal judge, I should say a federal magistrate, working under a federal judge, Issued a warrant. If any of the president's people are listening to me right now, I want to know why his lawyers are not in federal court right now seeking a protective order of any document, any electronic communication, any telephonic communication, whatever it is, a protective order until they have an opportunity to see the warrant. Because the attorney-client privilege, the privilege applies to the client, not to the lawyer. 
Third day in a row I'm making this point. I don't know who these lawyers are, but somebody better get the hell in there. You don't have to rely on the FBI. Certainly not when it's so corrupt at the highest levels. So, the attorney-client privilege is a privilege that is created, ladies and gentlemen, through common law that's been adopted in the United States to protect you. You need to be able to talk to your lawyer without the government knowing what you tell your lawyer. You need to be able to protect yourself. You need to be able to get the best advice you can get. This isn't the old Soviet Union. Or is it? Or is it? Mr. Mueller is not a stand-up guy. I spent some time the other day explaining who he is. That's what I do on this program. I dig deeply. We get into substance. We know what Mueller did in the Whitey Bulger case. We know what Mueller did in the anthrax case. He's not a great prosecutor. He wasn't a great FBI director. And yet he knows all these senators, and he knows all these reporters. Gee, I wonder how. And they all come to his defense. Plus, they all hate Trump. They don't care if Trump is dragged out of the Oval Office, dragged down Pennsylvania Avenue... And hung from a telephone pole. They don't care. This is the mob, ladies and gentlemen, at work. This is the mob. It's not justice. It's not law and order. And now these fools in Congress, led by the Senate, want to pass legislation to protect Mueller. Not the Constitution. Not the rule of law. Not attorney-client privilege. To protect Mueller, led by Lindsey Graham and Cory Gardner and every other miscreant in there. It's absolutely incredible. So collusion is dead. If they, if they make the collusion argument, it's a thin read. They do it to save face, but nobody's going to be charged with anything related to collusion. Now they're looking at Trump world's finances. I don't know, did did the Attorney General of the United States recuse himself on that? No, he did not. So how did that happen? Because the Deputy Attorney General of the United States is out of line, and of course so is Mueller. And that piece of crap deputy of his, Weissman. Weissman. And so here we are. Really, really a tragedy. And because the Republicans who run the Senate and the Republicans who run the House are so incompetent, not only are they going to seek to protect Robert Mueller and Rod Rosenstein, it's Rosenstein, not Rosenstein. That's what he calls himself, Rosenstein or Frankenstein, one or the other. But... 
They handed the Democrats everything they wanted in the last budget, which may well, likely will, cost them the Congress and then cost Trump his presidency. It is sickening beyond belief to witness this. It is sickening beyond belief to witness this. You have somebody like Mitch McConnell in there. He just hangs on and hangs on no matter how much destruction he brings to the Republican Party. At least Paul Ryan's decided to parachute out. See this clown John Boehner? You know what? I've been rethinking the issue of uh, marijuana and pot. And I've changed my mind. Yeah, right. Because now he's on a board and he's getting paid. Complete low life. Complete low life always was. Not a principled bone in that guy's head. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. One other thing about Rod Rosenstein that is perplexing. Absolutely perplexing. Who fired Jim Comey? Rod Rosenstein fired Jim Comey. Remember, he wrote a memo. The attorney general signed off on the memo. But it was Rosenstein who fired Jim Comey. And then Rosenstein replaces the normal prosecutorial Staff is, in essence, at the Justice Department with a, his special counsel friend. So the question is this. How can Rosenstein still be involved in matters of this sort, particularly the Russia matter, when he fired the FBI director? Isn't he going to appear in front of the federal grand jury? Isn't he going to be deposed? Doesn't he need to hire a lawyer? Well, of course. But you see, Mueller was appointed by him, and Mueller has no intention of questioning Rod Rosenstein. This is a complete sham. It is a complete sham. And remember, Jim Comey, the reason he leaked one of his memos to the New York Times through his law professor buddy at Columbia, not only because he's a coward, but because he wanted to pressure the Justice Department to appoint a special counsel. Absolutely sleazy beyond belief. I hope you will you'll take my advice, seriously. It's self-serving, yes, but I think it's important. Sunday at 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, ABC expects you to turn on your local ABC affiliate and watch George Stephanopoulos, a liberal Clinton Democrat dressed up as a journalist like the rest of them, interview Jim Comey. They expect you to watch this. They want to drive up their ratings and their advertising dollars. May I strongly discourage you from watching this and instead watching my show, 10 p.m., Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, on the Fox News Channel. That is the Fox Network on Life, Liberty, and Levin. I'm quite serious about this. You know, they like to run boycotts of people like Laura Ingram. 
and Sean Hannity and so forth. This isn't even a boycott. Just don't watch it and watch the alternative. Jim Comey is a serial liar. Jim Comey is a serial leaker. He is a bad man. A bad man. All you're going to do is help him advance his media narrative and his book sales by driving up his television ratings. Don't do it. Tell your friends, family. Go online. Tell them. Don't watch. Comey's book is just what Comey has to say. We already have Loretta Lynch who says, I never told Comey anything about, don't you, you know, you must use the word matter. And there was no pushback or anything of the sort. You already have Chief of Staff Kelly, who's who, under Trump, who says, I, I never said what Comey says I said. President of the United States, I never said what Comey said I said. Comey is a liar and a leaker. Now he's out for a cheap buck. Writing a memoir, a book? This guy should be walking around the country with a bag over his head. People should be saying, boy, that guy's six feet ten with a bag over his head. What a freak. Look at him. The, guy, the guy's selling a book, but he won't go back in front of a congressional committee to talk about what's in his book. The guy's a fraud. I'll be right back. The Mark Levin Show, live and national at 877-381-3811. You know, folks, uh, what I want to hit in the final hour is this outrageous hearing that took place for the president's nominee for Secretary of State, Pompeo. And uh, how absolutely insane the Democrats are. Absolutely dangerous they are. And, and this is what's so frustrating. The idea that the Republicans can't destroy the Democrat Party and their idiot candidates. Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, who's the idiot? Booker from New Jersey. Menendez, always one foot out of prison. I mean... The idea that the Republicans can't run circles around them. But look who we have. Lindsey Graham, Mitch McConnell, all these other dour, long-faced goofballs. I mean, it's just incredible. You know, Hillsdale College is educating millions of Americans on freedom in the Constitution, economics, history, and other areas through their free online courses. Many of you have taken one. They also teach congressional staff and other leaders constitutional principles at the Hillsdale Kirby Center in Washington, D.C. And I'm sure you've heard how Hillsdale's partnering with charter schools, too. And how every student on their main campus is required to study the Constitution, regardless of whether they major in music, chemistry, mathematics, English, or anything else. Hillsdale does all this as part of their mission to help all Americans pursue truth and defend liberty, to help Americans become better citizens, to preserve freedom. Now they're sending a copy of the Constitution and Declaration of Independence to every middle and high school uh, principal in America, along with an offer to provide free copies for their students. Learn how you can help in this effort and how you can get your own copy of Hillsdale's Pocket Constitution to give or keep or, or uh, give away at levinforhillsdale.com. That's levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I have a question for the 
code pink Republicans. I have a question. The President of the United States sees what's taking place in Syria. They're analyzing the intel. They're trying to make decisions on the best way to proceed. And he will proceed. And by the way, notice how he's doing it methodically. All this talk about he shoots from the hip and he's going to cause a nuclear war and he's this and that. He has handled himself beautifully. Same with North Korea. Same with Iran. Same with our allies. Britain, France, Israel. He's handled himself beautifully. It's about damn time he's recognized for it. But I want to ask a Republican a, a, a question for the Code Pink Republicans. Syria, that's none of our business. I'm sick of this. Oh, Afghanistan's none of our business. None of these places are any of our business. No, nothing's any of our business. I want to ask them a question. Maybe it's some of you. Let's say it's 1939. We haven't been attacked yet by the Japanese. We haven't been attacked by anybody. 1939. And the concentration camps are operating. And Germany's on the move. All the way over there in Europe. Way over there in Europe. That's not our problem, right? It's just not our problem. Is that the position? That wasn't our problem? That has nothing to do with us? Eventually, it all has something to do with us. But that would be my question to the Code Pink Republicans. Forget about the Democrats. They're on a suicide mission. The problem is, I don't want them dragging all the rest of us with them. But this battle within the Republican Party, it's worth debating. Now, I think the McCain, Graham, and often Rubio positions really are bizarre. These radical interventionist ideas that we just keep throwing our troops into this battle, that battle... You know, this is the 21st century. You don't need to fight battles that way. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But is that what we should do? Just blow these things off? It's not doing with us. What the hell? Should we get a declaration of war every single time? We get involved in a battle or attack a country? A declaration of war? Is that what our history shows? That every time we went into battle, we got a declaration of war. Is that what Jefferson did? Is that what Andrew Jackson did? I don't know. Did Lincoln issue a declaration of war against the South in our greatest war of all times? I'm just wondering. Is that what was meant in the Constitution? Is it that crystal clear that each and every time you get a declaration of war... I mean, Congress does have the power of the purse. Congress does have the power to cut off funding. If enough in Congress want to cut off funding, they can cut it off, send it to the president, he can veto it, and then they can override him. But we hear these voices in Congress who do not represent the majority. And if they did represent the majority, they ought to do something about it. But they don't. They just whine and whine and whine. But what they really are are these code pink Republicans. Let's take some calls here. Let us go to Patrick, San Diego. Mark Levin app, go. 
Hi, good evening, Mark. 30-year Navy veteran. Love both your shows. God just bless wanna, you. Just want to float something by you. What do you think if the AG is just giving the deputy enough rope to hang himself? Kind of, <laughs> kind of like that. Sir, I, I have no problem with that, but he's he's to hang himself with whom? Well, I, you know, I don't know who's ever going to go after him, but, you know, keep your friends close. Well, I mean, it's no, 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 the, the, no, no, none of that applies. He's no. not hanging himself. The attorney general already has the power to deal with this, and he's doing enormous damage to the deputy attorney general. We're going to wait around for him to hang himself in what way? Well, I, I don't know. I don't know if he, you know. There he, is no way. He should be dealt okay. with now. Yeah, absolutely. All right, my friend. Appreciate your call. Let's go to Kathy Houston, the great KTRH country. How are you? Hi, I'm fine. How are you today? I just okay. want to tell you how much I appreciate your program. Um, I wanted to um, give you kudos for um, uh, bringing up the Holocaust. Uh, I'm 67 years old, so I'm dated a bit. But my, my grandfather was a POW in World War One, and my father oh, Navy, World War Two. A strong military history within my family, a strong love for the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. I'm a Christian. Um, but um, I just wanted to say that I appreciate what you've done. My son is a West Pointer. And wow, what a family you have. Yeah, well, he um, just visited the home of—he's with NATO, and he's going to another duty station. But he just visited the home of Corey Tinboom. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she lived in Harlem, Amsterdam, and she sheltered the Jewish people, mm-hmm. and they were caught and sent to concentration camp, and she alone of her family survived. Um, mm. So I've stood at the gates of Dachau, and I've stood at the foot of Patton's grave uh, at Luxembourg and seen the crosses row on row, and to my, mm-hmm. my historical memory, I, I remember the poem, In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow beneath the crosses row on row that mark our place. And in the sky, a lark still bravely singing flies, scarce heard beneath the guns below. We are the dead. Short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders Field. There was a great sacrifice mm-hmm. for the freedom uh, that all of us enjoy. Mm-hmm. And I get a little bit emotional about it because I don't see that being remembered nor taught today. It's not. Uh, It's not remembered, and it's not taught. I know. I've taught it to my children. My son is a huge historian, um, which came from his his West Point education. Um, And uh, he he just has a great love for the sacrifice that that, um, many of our our former generation sacrificed for us. And Mm -hmm. I'll just say one more thing, I'll let you go. Mm -hmm. He was stationed in Germany. He lived off post. He was, he rented from a German family and he had an apartment downstairs. It was after 9-11 and the the German lady came down and was talking to him and berating him a little bit about war and how we shouldn't go to war and blah, 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 blah. It's the Afghanistan thing. Right. He turned around, he stopped, and he turned around, and he looked at her, and he said, Ma'am, sometimes war is necessary. And she got dead silence because, I mean, what could she say? She was a German war woman, and, uh, of course, she had remembrance of what had happened in Germany. So, All right, I, Kathy, I really appreciate it, and I appreciate your uh, patriotic and heroic family. And I want to thank you and thank all of them. Thank you. Aaron, Minnesota, Sirius Satellite, how are you? I'm doing good. 
you're on. Um, I just want to say I love listening to your show. I've been listening to it since I was 12 years old when I was in uh, high school out in Virginia. Wow. Um, I grew up, and uh, when I went to high school, I studied, uh, learned about World War II and the Holocaust. Um, my dad's Jewish, so, and my dad's side of the family is Jewish, and my mom's side of the family was Christian, so I was raised, brought up on both sides. Um, I've got five kids now, and four of them. When you bring up history, and even my friends' kids, none of them know anything about World War II. I asked one of them earlier today if she knew what the uh, what Auschwitz was. That's a made up word. I'm, you know, and it's it's sad that the kids today don't the history books don't teach any of that. When I was in school, that was you know it was a big thing. We had projects even in middle school that I remember doing, having to do projects on World War II and you know learning about that. Um, you know, military stuff. My grandpa was in World War II at Iwo Jima um, on my mom's that's, that's side. That's interesting. My, so was mine. Yeah. Um, so he's he's not no longer with us. He passed away several years ago. But oh, of course. He, I used. Yeah, I used to. And my other grandparents, uh, they weren't on my dad's side. They weren't involved in. Um, All right. Let me let, me. let me. Let me. Let me. Let me. Let me ask you a question. All this money we're pouring into these public schools, is it worth it? Is it worth it? I don't think it's worth it. All this money we're pouring into these public schools, it's not worth it. I mean, we have no control over the uh, curriculum. None. Uh, We have no control over who's teaching our kids. None. These are supposed to be community schools. Really, the community has no say other than to cough up the money. You go to a school board, if you dare to even speak out of turn, the cops will remove you from the hallway, from the hallway, the, the facility. All right, sir, thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Lovin. I could never be nominated for anything, among many reasons. I couldn't tolerate these uh, these people in these committees questioning me. Not without slamming them back. What I saw today with Pompeo, and we'll talk about this in the next hour, I mean, some of the questions and some of the comments were just so over the top, so weird. And this is our Congress, you see. I wanted to tell you about a little-known part of our tax code that's benefiting millions of Americans just like you. Actually, here's what I want to tell you. Do any of you have gold or silver? It sounds very esoteric, doesn't it? Gold and silver. We've been taught to believe that put your money in a savings account, which has minimal interest. Keep your money in a checking account, which has almost no interest. Um... You know, have a pension plan where you can put your money in the stock market and it's doing great, except when it's not doing great. Maybe they'll put some bonds in there. We don't even know what bonds are. You should buy a home. That's fine. But now there are limits on what you can deduct. And, of course, we had the bubble and the the horrific uh, uh, depreciation of the values of homes and so forth. So what do you do? You diversify. 
you diversify. So some areas of the economy go up, some of the areas of the economy go down, and you don't have all your eggs in one basket, as they say. And it's that simple. And one of the things you ought to look at, and one of the things I certainly am invested in, is gold. I'm not saying sell your house and buy all gold, but you can put a little bit of money away in gold, actual hard gold. You can put it in a safe deposit box. You can put it in your own safe. You can put it wherever you want. Actual physical gold. And you can get it in the form of coins, which actually makes it easier. In my view, that's what I have. I have these Canadian gold coins. So you can use them as currency, although I would never do that unless, you know, your back's against the wall. But you save them. And you diversify. And that's what it's all about. In order to protect your assets. PM Capital. PM Capital is a wonderful company. PM Capital can help you do exactly that. They can help you get started. You know, you can purchase gold as part of your pension plan. Or purchase it in other ways. And they have wonderful people who are there to help talk to you about this. And they're there right now. I want to strongly encourage you to call them. 877-382-2503. 877-382-2503. One more time. You should jot this down. 877-382-2503. Or if you like to work off websites, you can go to marklevingold.com, marklevingold.com. But you really should ask them for the information. You really should start to look into this as a way of protecting your assets. As I say, some things go up, some things go down. As the, if the currency gets weaker, 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 and if we have inflation or deflation, you're going to wish you diversified. As I say, you don't have to put everything in one thing, everything in a house, everything in stocks, everything in pension. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a little here, a little there, a little everywhere. I like knowing I have gold. I do. I like knowing I have gold. I like knowing I have a pension plan that invests mostly in stocks, I guess, mutual funds and all the rest of it. No expert. And of course, real estate, so forth. But I always feel better that I have some gold. And you can also buy silver. You can also buy silver. So give them a call right now. 877-382-2503. 877-382-2503. And the reason I use PM Capital is they're an extremely, highly reputable company. And I know one of the principals there, Scott Carter, uh, who's one of the owners of the company. That's why I use PM Capital. John, Colorado Springs, the great KVOR, go. Yes, I was introduced to the Holocaust by being given a tour of Dachau concentration camp when I was 17 years old, back in 1968. And I have never forgotten it. Mm -hmm. It was, they had a museum you go through that has all these pictures. I could only make halfway through it. Mm -hmm. 
I saw the crematorium where they said bodies have been piled up to the roof line. We went to a building that said Bod over the door, which means bath. We walked in, no shower heads. You go through the back door and it's a crematorium. And I got some pamphlets while I was there and the most bone chilling was a letter in one of the pamphlets to Himmler concerning gold fillings. I'd like to read it to you. Right. I'll here. tell you what, we're going to run out of time. Can you hold on? Sir, John, can you can you yes, wait until after the break? All right. <clears throat> I'm very interested in hearing this. I think most of you are too. We'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. You know, Rich, I'm starting to think the president should just declare the White House a sanctuary city, then he'll be fine. All right, there was another spectacle in Congress, in the Senate, a grotesque spectacle, a freak show, that just tells you uh, these, these senators are just, they're so lame. They're the lamest of the lame. Mike Pompeo has been nominated to be Secretary of State. He was nominated to be CIA Director, and he was confirmed. He's a member of the House of Representatives. He fought in Iraq One. He went to some of the finest schools. He has done a tremendous job, but he's not a left-wing radical kook. Therefore, he needs to be punished. And that's what these hearings have become. So he's nominated to be Secretary of State. So let's begin. We have this guy Menendez. A hung jury saved him from federal prison. A hung jury in his own county, I might add. Cut three, go. What did President Trump say to you and Director Coates in that meeting? Senator, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the, the conversations the president I had. I, I, think, I think it's in, in this uh, setting... Uh, Appropriate for a president to have an opportunity to talk with his senior leaders. I'll, I'll do that throughout the day. But I, I will tell you this. Uh, the article's suggestion that he, had, he asked me to do anything that was improper is false. Did he ask you to do anything as it relates to that investigation? Senator, I, I don't recall. Uh, I don't recall what he asked me that day uh, precisely. Uh, but I have to tell you, I, I'm with the president an awful lot. He has never asked me to do anything that I consider so, remotely improper. How about you, Menendez? You been in any meetings where anybody asked you to do anything remotely improper? Complete sleazeball, Menendez. Complete sleazeball. But Menendez isn't done. Cut four, go. What behavior has the Kremlin shown that it indicates it wants to get along with the United States? Is there any? If so, please share it with me. Senator, I, I, I take a backseat to no one with my views of the threat that is presented to America from Russia. And if I am confirmed as a Secretary of State, I can assure you 
this administration will continue, as it has for the past 15 months, to take real actions to push back, to reset the deterrence relationship with respect to Russia. Tell me, when Menendez was chairman of the uh, Senate Foreign Relations Committee, I believe, what did Obama and what did he do about Russia? Nothing. Nothing. Cut five, go. There's more work to be done on other sanctions provisions as well. I I readily concede that. Vladimir Putin has not yet received the message sufficiently, and we need to continue to work at that. Uh, But it hasn't just been sanctions. The largest expulsion of 60 folks was from this administration. This administration announced a nuclear posture review that has put Russia on notice that we're going to recapitalize our deterrent force in Syria. Now, a handful of weeks ago, you support Russians. that, Menendez? You support rebuilding our military after you and your party damn near eviscerated it? How about that, Menendez? What do you think of that? Go ahead. A couple hundred Russians were killed. And there's, there's a lot of this that took place today. Let's see what our buddy Rand Paul had to say. Cut seven, go. Do you think it's constitutional? Does the president have the constitutional authority to bomb Assad's forces? Does he have the authority, absent congressional action, to bomb Assad's forces or installations? Senator, as I I think I said to Senator Kane, I'm I'm happy to repeat my my view on this. Uh, Those decisions are waiting. Every place we can, we should work alongside Congress to get that. But yes, I believe the president has the domestic authority to do that. I I don't think that has been disputed by Republicans or Democrats throughout an extended period of time. Actually, it's disputed mostly by our founding fathers who believe they gave that authority to Congress and actually they're uniformly opposed to the uh, executive Actually, branch. that's not exactly right. And every time I bring this up, the lunatic radical libertarians flip out because they, they're as anti-defense as the uh, code pink types. It's not black and white. The president's the commander-in-chief. Does he go to Congress every single time he decides to use the military? Is he required to do that? Well, that's an impossibility. That's an absolute impossibility. Let's say Congress is in recess. I mean, what do they do, work three days a week? Let's say we need to hit the enemy and hit the enemy in a way where we don't want to reveal what we're planning to do. Well, what does he do? Go to Congress? Which committee does he go to? Which members does he go to? All the members? Uh, Do they sit down, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Secretary of Defense, the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, the head of the CIA, do they all sit down in a joint session of Congress and have a discussion about what we plan to do? Moreover, if this is Rand Paul's position, and if it's a position shared by the majority of the House and Senate, why don't they assert themselves? What do you want from Pompeo? He's not a judge. He's not a member of Congress anymore. He works for the President of the United States. What do you want him to do as Secretary of State? I mean, the legislative branch, if this is their position, then legislate it. But it would be absolute insanity and suicidal to argue not the founders ran, that the framers intended every military action to be approved by Congress in advance as a declaration of war. Because now you're all in. You've declared war, now you're all in. 
So it takes all these other military and quasi-military options off the table. You've just declared war. Well, Mark, if you hit somebody and you hit their city, uh, that's an action of war. But you're not declaring that you're going to use all the military might that you have to destroy the regime. And we're not doing that. So I would leave it for Rand Paul to put out a white paper and tell us exactly how this would work. I'm quite serious about this. Go ahead. In fact, Madison wrote very specifically, he said, the executive branch is the branch most prone to war. Therefore, we have, with studied care, vested that authority in the legislature. So the fact that we have in the past done this doesn't make it constitutional. And I would say that I take objection to the idea that the president can go to war when he wants, where he wants. Well, is every military action a war? The answer is no. The answer is no. And by the way, read the Constitution. It doesn't say that there must be a declaration of war. It doesn't, in other words, you don't have to use that language. For instance, the, the war in Iraq, which was a war, and we sent hundreds of thousands of troops. It was authorized twice by Congress, both parties, authorized in an authorizing resolution, two resolutions, and it was funded. There was no formal declaration of war. There doesn't need to be a formal declaration of war. Congress has the power to declare war, but Congress can authorize war and fund it, which is what it did. Go ahead. Okay. Let's go to cut eight, Mr. Producer. Go ahead. So, in effect, uh, Iran has already realized much of the benefit from the agreement, But if we were to exit the agreement now, uh, we would give them reason to uh, uh, renege on the agreements that they have made on the nuclear side. So now we have a a putative Republican senator and Jeff Flake arguing in support of the Iran deal. I'm telling you, these guys are really bizarre, absolutely bizarre. Go ahead. Senator, they're, they're still receiving enormous economic benefits, even as we sit here this morning. Right. So, so there is continued, uh, so there is continued interest on the part of Iran to stay in this deal. It's in their own economic self-interest to do so. And and I guess I'd add, Iran wasn't racing to a weapon before the deal. There is no indication that I'm aware of that if the deal no longer existed, that they would immediately turn to racing to create a nuclear weapon today. But here's the problem with the deal, folks. It allows them to create a nuclear weapon on a date certain. Because once the deal's up, there's no way to stop it. Ben Cardin, this man really is a reprobate. He is a very stupid man. He is a Democrat from Maryland. And once you're elected as a Democrat from Maryland, you're there for life. Cut nine, go. Do you see the challenge that that's going to make your job, if confirmed, more challenging? Where you, where your job is to work with the international community, our friends and foes alike, yes. to try to get diplomacy to work, and yet the United States would be the only country saying, we don't want to talk to you about climate under the arrangements that every other country is dealing with. You don't see a conflict with that position 
and trying to be the top diplomat of America. The so basically, he's attacking this guy because he's attacking Trump and Trump's position, the position of tens of millions of us, on this phony climate change stuff. And Cardin's not going to vote for Pompeo anyway. He's a party man. He's a party man. Whatever the party tells him to do, that's what he does. He never steps out. So he will vote against Pompeo. But now what we have is a long laundry list of leftist causes that they insist that the Secretary of State nominee embrace. So he must embrace climate change, and as Secretary of State, he must advance it. He must advance it. Go ahead. Senator, there are many times that we work with our allies, and there are many other times when we just don't see it the same way. I give you many indications, many, many examples of where this administration has worked with those same allies. Just recently, the work that we did against Russia in response to the attack that took place in Britain, we worked with our European allies. We did so very closely. This would be after the president's announcement that he intended to withdraw from Paris. So it can still work. Yeah, but he doesn't care. Then we have Mr. Bizarro himself. Cory Booker is a very bizarre man. And when he really works himself into a lather, his eyes are popping out of his head. You notice that? Guy desperately wants to be president of the United States. So he figures out what constituency groups do I need? And no matter the format, no matter the occasion, I'm going to, to play to that crowd. Now, this is bizarro. Cut 10, go. You said in a speech that uh, mourning in America that endorses perversion and calls it an alternative lifestyle, is your words, is being gay a perversion? Senator, I, 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 when I was a politician, I had a very clear view on uh, whether it was appropriate for two same-sex persons to marry. I stand by that. So you, so it's, you do not believe it's appropriate for two gay people to marry? Now, let's, let's just stop there. Now, in 2008, that's exactly the position of Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. And this view of two gay people marrying is a recent view that has been legalized by the Supreme Court. So to go back and dig this up, when virtually, <coughs> excuse me, every Democrat politician took the same position, just shows you what a superficial hack Cory Booker is. But what does that have to do with being Secretary of State anyway? Absolutely nothing. Why don't you ask him some questions about foreign policy? Go ahead. It's the same view. And so people in the State Department, I've met some in Africa that are married under your leadership. You do not believe that that should be allowed. Senator, we have, I I believe it's the case, we have married uh, gay couples at the CIA. You should know. I treated them with the exact same set of rights. You you believe that gay sex is a perversion? Yes, now, no. let's just wait there. Certain types of sex can be a perversion, don't you think, Mr. Producer? Now, whether it's gay or whether it's straight. Well, what the hell are we discussing this about? Is it the position of the senator from New Jersey that all types of sex are acceptable? All types of sex acts are acceptable? Is this what this hearing devolved into? Yes, because of Cory Booker. Go ahead. 
If I can, if you're, yes or no, sir. Moment, if do you believe that gay sex is a perversion? Because it's, it's what you well, say. Well, I think we should ask, what exactly are you talking about, Senator? What acts are you talking about? And why are we talking about it at all, Senator? Some people do. Some people don't. So what? He still has to follow the law that's in place from the Supreme Court, from the EEOC, and all the rest of it. He has to comply with those laws as Secretary of State. So why does any of this matter? Because Cory Booker is running for President of the United States. And you know what? The man has nothing to offer. Nothing. He's dense. Go ahead. One of your speeches, yes or no, do you believe gay sex is a perversion? Senator, I, I, I'm going to give you the same answer I just gave you previously. My, my respect for every individual, regardless of their sexual orientation, is the same. So I will conclude will by so saying, if you, I'm confirmed. I, I will conclude by saying, sir, you're going to be Secretary of State of the United States at a time that we have an increase in hate speech and hate actions against Jewish Americans, Muslim Americans, Indian Americans. Now shut up, you idiot. Rambling off the... Just shut up. I don't even know what the hell... Anyway. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. John's been waiting patiently. wanted to read us that letter. Go ahead, John. Yes, sir. Yeah, this is a letter... Uh, to him in 1942 and it says the gold filling hold on now this is a letter to Himmler from obviously a senior official at the uh, death camp yes says gold fillings and gold teeth of deceased prisoners in protective custody is being handed to the medical department for use for our men SS Oberfuhrer is already in possession of a total of 50 kilograms of gold, which is the estimated precious metal requirement for the next five years. I beg for confirmation that the gold fillings and gold teeth, which became available, recovered from normal diseases in the concentration camps, be handed over to the Reichsbank for repayment. Heil Hitler. Mm -hmm. Chilling. Oh, it's chilling. It's horrific. This I never forgot this from the day I read it as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And when were you there? At Dachau? At the age of 17. Mm-hmm. This was just mind-boggling. All right, John. I really appreciate you sharing that with us. And you never forgot about it, ever. No yep. one ever does. No. All right. It's just... Uh, just incredible that two-thirds of millennials in this country are not familiar with the Holocaust. That the New York Times during the Holocaust was doing its very best to push it to the back pages. And I don't know why anybody trusts the New York Times anymore. That's their history. That's their history. And yet all these people, all these leftists, all these Democrats who pretend to be reporters want to work for the New York Times. Really? The company I worked for had that record. I don't think anybody would want to work here. I'll be right back. This is Radio Free America. 
on The Mark Levin Show. Call now, 877-381-3811. FEMA estimates that most Americans have no plan for an emergency. And with FEMA admitting recently they cannot help everyone who's unprepared, you know, we need to take matters into our own hands. The best time to do so is before hurricane and wildfire season start, especially before something like an earthquake or power grid attack hits without warning. Act and prepare by securing food storage today. My Patriot Supply has the perfect food kit to get you started, just as they've helped millions for over a decade now, and I use them too. This week, get their four-week emergency food supply for only $99. That's a low price for security, and it's shipped free and discreetly to your door. Take action right now. Call 800-294-2325 or use this special website, preparewithmark.com. The food lasts 25 years in storage. It's your responsibility to make sure every family member has one. Only 99 bucks. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. All right, let us continue here. Michael, Colorado Springs, Sirius Satellite, go. Uh, Hi, Mr. Levin. Um, I'm actually a millennial, and I just wanted to make the point that it's not just sad to forget our history, but it's also dangerous. I think it's it's dangerous if today's millennials don't know what set the conditions for the 20th century genocide to happen. Uh, I read something a while back that something like 50% of all millennials want a socialist government, and a big reason is because of income inequality. The problem is they believe the lie from the left mm-hmm. uh, that it makes everyone equal. They're so misinformed that they don't realize um, you know, if we were to actually implement socialism, we would create a bourgeoisie and a proletariat and put all the power and money in the hands of a few. And that would just exacerbate the problem that they're trying to solve. Plus, uh, their goals are an impossibility. Everybody can't have equal income. It's not possible. I don't care if you look at the most despotic communist regimes. Everybody cannot have equal income, and they won't. And your point is well taken. When you look at equality that way, you destroy individualism and individual liberty, don't you? Well, you do. And you know, I have to say, I wasn't in high school that long ago, and we never learned any of this. I mean, we learned, well, we, we did learn about the Holocaust, um, but we never you know, deconstructed uh, communism. And more importantly, we didn't ever talk about natural rights, you know, why we say, oh, we read the Declaration, yeah, this sounds great, everyone's equal, like it's some, you know, oh, this is just a great idea, it's a nice thing to do. We don't realize that that, we have a government that is ruled by natural law, it creates a state of perfection, it's better than, you know, anyone, anything anyone's ever come up with. Mm-hmm. Well, you sound extremely bright, don't hang up, I'm going to send, <laughs> excuse me, a copy of Rediscovering Americanism, so don't hang up, we want to get your address. Kurt, San Francisco, California, the great KSFO. Go. Uh, Thank you, sir, for taking my call today. Uh, Side note, I really appreciate your coverage on the Holocaust today. That's been really moving. Thank you. Uh, uh, Yes. So my question to you, sir, is if I were the president and I were asking you as my advisor and I said, look, Mr. Levin, tomorrow I'm going to fire Sessions Rosenstein and Mueller, what would you tell me to do? No, I've told the whole world I would not do that. 
Okay. But I have said that Sessions needs to fire Rosenstein or needs to hem him in some way. But I think Sessions needs to step down because he's he's allowed his deputy to usurp these powers. And in in the end, he's in control of the Department of Justice. Even in the, he's recused himself in certain areas, but those other areas, he's not, you know, taking control of the department. And uh, as much as I like Jeff Sessions, as long as I've known him, the fact of the matter is I have got to put the country first. He thinks he is, and I think that we have a huge lapse here in leadership. That's just my opinion. And I'm wondering just why he hasn't done anything. Well, I can't read his mind, but... You know, it's hard to go against the media. It's hard to go against Congress. It's hard to go against all these things because, you know, he'd be accused of all kinds of things. But still, sometimes you just have to do the right thing. You're right. So, yeah, I was just, you know, sorry if I hadn't heard your comments before. But I was just thinking, gosh, these guys have got to go. All right, my friend. Let's go to Kale in Chappaqua, New York, the great WABC. Go ahead. Oh, yes, uh, Mr. Levin. I'm not sure if you remember me. I actually met you at your last book signing last summer. I stood in line with my 11-year-old son. I was the Navy SEAL. Oh, I remember you. How you doing? I'm very good. In fact, this is really timely because I just took both of my children last week at spring break to Poland, and we went to see Auschwitz and Birkenau. As tough as it was, it was very, very important for them to see it. Mm -hmm. But the reason I'm calling is because I've... I've been wanting to to call into your show for the last couple of months because I am just fed up to my head with Jeff Sessions. We've got enough proof now that the next thing he ought to do, he should have appointed another special counsel two months ago. There's enough proof to get to the bottom of the other, you know, Hillary Clinton and uranium, et cetera. It's just frustrating. And then you bring up Mike Pompeo. I can't even watch the clowns in D.C. They're just buffoons, and I give you credit for being able to watch and dissect it. I, I just can't hear them speak. I'm, I'm, so I am just wanted to support you, and I wish Jeff Sessions would listen to your call because he needs to step down or, or take some action. All right, Cal. Appreciate your call and your service, my friend. Donna, Marietta, California, Sirius Satellite. How are you? Hi, Mark. How are you doing? It's good, uh, it's good to talk to you. Thank you. And um, I would like to talk. I want to thank you for running the Ronald Reagan thing that you did earlier, his speech. It was amazing to hear it again. <laughs> thank you. And, um, well, it certainly uh, was. Yes. My dad was actually stationed in Dachau uh, in the 60s, and um, we actually, as a family, lived there. And um, it, we went actually went to the um, Holocaust Museum probably right after it opened because it opened in 1965 and that's when we went over with in 1965 and I was maybe nine or ten years old and it made such a huge impact on me that I can still see the pictures so vividly and smell the smells and the um, I, I saw you know the big crematoriums and there were it was it was ones. only 20 years before where that camp was working Exactly, and that it it just the history of it, and it's so so very important that we learn from this and don't forget it. And people it, aren't learning when you have two thirds of younger people who are well, unfamiliar my, with the Holocaust. I mean, that is that is uh, shocking. My son is a millennial, and I made sure he knew because you know it's part. You know, my my dad is retired out of the military. I'm a veteran. My brother's a veteran. 
Um, so my uncles are all veterans, so we have quite a history uh, with the military, and I made sure he knew about all of that, and I actually saw these things, you know, the, mm-hmm. the bigger crematoriums and then the little ones right beside it where that's where they would put the children in. So mm-hmm. it's it's just such a horrendous thing, but it made such an impact on me at such a young age, and so it's always been something that I've, I've studied and passed on that knowledge. Well, you're, that's, that's really good that you did, very important, and I want to thank you for your call. Now, folks, I want to show you what's going on on the other side of the world in a very dark place, and that's MSLSD. Two of the stupidest people to ever be on TV, soon to be a husband and wife clown team, is the morning schmo and Mrs. Schmo. Mr. Schmo being a.k.a. Mika Brzezinski. Now, Mika Brzezinski's father was Brzezinski. And he was a nitwit. He was Carter's national security advisor. Zbigniew Brzezinski. Now, I want you to listen to this lovely couple of coconuts. Cut 11, go. Well, and and Mika, the, the fact that the president keeps making a fool of himself mm. on Twitter by, first of all, talking about our big, beautiful missiles or whatever he said yesterday. Uh, uh, and then um, this morning uh, saying, hey, world, thank me, a guy sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue for the work that the men and the women in the field did. All right. All right let, let, let's just stop there. First of all, he didn't say thank me. But even if he did, we know exactly what he means, that uh, he directed the United States military to take out ISIS. I mean, this is, this is so sophomoric, so contemptible. The president's not making a fool of himself. You should watch yourself on TV, Schmo. Now there's a guy making a fool of himself. As I've said over and over and over again, he looks like the banjo-playing kid on the bridge in Deliverance. Take a look at him. With the Woody with the Woodpecker haircut. But uh, the president has done a superb job in foreign policy. Absolutely superb. A hundred times better than Barack Obama, that's for sure. He's trying to clean up that mess. And yet this fool who's accomplished nothing, this fool who managed to get elected to the House of Representatives from a Republican district in Florida, then he decides he doesn't want to be a congressman anymore. He wants to go on the radio. Fails. Now he's on an extremely low-rated TV show that gets beaten all the time by Fox and Friends. Jealous, thin-skinned, moronic, as he and his soon-to-be wife are. Gets on here just relentlessly trashing the president's character. He would never do this to a Democrat. He didn't have the guts to do it to Obama. But he wakes up every morning in, out of his stupor, trying to figure out how to smear the President of the United States. It's not rational discussion. They're not rational disagreements. The President... Hey, the pre- and look, listen to the slow-talking cadence of a stupid person. But then, Brzezinski, of the Brzezinski uh, 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 clown acts, then she chimes in. Go ahead. 
World stage, this president is humiliating. No, America. no, 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 no. Your father humiliated America. Your disastrous father humiliated America. His disastrous boss, Jimmy Carter, humiliated America. Go ahead. No question. He's been doing it for months, but we're headed into a situation where he has humiliated this country on the world stage, and he's going to hurt Our country is not humiliated on the world stage. You two are humiliating on a very small stage. A stage for clowns. Go ahead. Well, that's not it, according to what you handed me here. All right, well, that city tells me. Okay, we'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Falling into bed has taken a whole new meaning ever since I started sleeping on my Casper mattress. Their engineers have created an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience. Get one. And you'll understand why it's the Internet's favorite mattress. Casper has created three unique mattresses to help you sleep cool and comfortably year-round. The Wave is engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points. The Casper mattress is more breathable and comfortable than ever. And the Essential mattress is innovation at a great price point. All of them are designed to coddle and comfort your every move. And they all provide the perfect support for every position you sleep in. This is a fact. Find out why Casper has hundreds of thousands of happy customers like me. Try your Casper mattress for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to casper.com slash mark and use code mark to save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com slash mark. And then when you get into the site, use code mark to save 50 bucks. Terms and conditions apply. See the site for full details. I'm telling you, that is the mattress. That is the mattress. All right. Full board, full board, full board. I'll tell you what. Tom, San Francisco, the great KSFO. Go. Yes, hello, Mark. What a pleasure it is to speak to you today. Yes. And I'm calling you, you know, we're remembering the Holocaust. And um, I just want to share with you that my father and his uncle, my great uncle, were members of the 86th Infantry Division, uh, the Black Hawk Division, that fought uh, uh, in Nazi Germany. They took the, the Ruhr and the Rhine Rivers, and they came upon a prison labor camp uh, by the name of Attendorn, and they liberated that prison camp on April 11th, 1945. Wow. So that's pretty cool. I've got a bunch of letters from my dad that he sent to mm-hmm. his parents, and as I read the chronicles of the war that I didn't as a child, I see now that he was in some deep fighting. There was a lot of fierce fighting going on. Not once does he mention anything about that in his mm-hmm. letters to his parents. Mm-hmm. But thank you for uh, everything you do for our country, and I hope we get out of our own mess here. And yep. uh, thanks for remembering the Holocaust with us. All right, Tom. Thank you and uh, your wonderful family. Mark, Thousand Oaks, California, AM870, The Answer, our great affiliate there. Go right ahead. Hello, Mark. I'm about a mile from Reagan country. Uh, the, the Reagan Library is just ahead of me here. And, uh, anyway, wow, that's, that's and, uh, one of my favorite places on earth. Yeah, it's great. It really is. 
Um, I wanted you to clarify something, and then I'd like to ask you a question when I'm when I finished. Um, I, could you clarify your position? I don't, I don't know if we're going to have time for the latter part, but go ahead. Okay, I'll try to make it quick. Um, could you clarify your position on the intervention or, or the, the pending intervention in Syria? I would have thought that. Oh, you, you called yesterday. Get rid of this guy. Very clever. Remember him, Rich? He called same guy. Very clear. I don't like liars. And that's why I won't engage the guy. Steve, New York, the great WABC. Go right ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, love your show. Love your uh, TV By show. By the way, that prior show. guy, Steve, is the guy who said he, he served in a unit in Germany. When I asked him what unit, he couldn't tell me. Oh, no, I didn't serve in a unit in Germany. <laughs> no, me neither. Anyway, go right ahead. The, the reason I wanted to talk to you was um, a little... Yeah, I've been disturbed about the, the Comey testimony when he testified before Congress. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of things that I think even a first-year senator or congressman you know, should have looked into. The first is, he was asked point blank, um, why didn't they record the interview with Hillary Clinton? Mm-hmm. And his response was, it's against FBI policy to do so. Well, is that prior true? to 2014... Well, prior to 2014, from, you know, my uh, friends, that was the case. But in 2014, James Comey changed that policy and allowed interviews to be recorded. So let me get this straight. So before 2014, he was right. But after 2014, he changed the policy to allow it. Yes, he changed it. (laughs) Okay. That's what my friends and family have told me. And so Mm -hmm. his response when asked that question was not accurate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was it was not true. Somebody call Trey Gowdy. He'll get on top of this for us. The second is um, the second thing that was disturbing was he'd said that the FBI would never prosecute a case like this, and you can Google this um, as much as you want. But there's been numerous cases where the FBI has prosecuted mishandling. There's actually a plea agreement on online that scanned was a young female uh, worker, I think, at Los Alamos National Lab named Jessica Quintana, mm-hmm. who had mishandled classified information. Nothing to the extent Hillary Clinton did. I was just going to say, over and over and over again? No. Probably no. once or twice, right? Once. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from all the open source articles you know, that you can read and even the plea agreement. She mm-hmm. received probation, but she actually was prosecuted. So oh. that was when, you know, Robert Mueller was... Well, my friend, uh, excellent, excellent call and information. We much appreciate it. Ladies and gentlemen, we salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. We'll see you right here tomorrow. God bless each and every one of you. Take care.